Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is all excited here and ready to go see Barbie. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to dress up like Barbie? Or oh, sure. I'm going on Saturday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have my pink ready to wear. Well, there you see, Dave. See, you're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. I'm but not. I don't know what you're going to do, but you know, it's just your wife won't go. No. No, not that's all. all right. Well, she doesn't know her. Does she get mad when you when she when she sees you wearing her dresses? Like this? Yes. You know. Yes, I have to sneak out of the house. The theater will be all gay men. <laughs> I, I just I, I'm hoping that they show an R-rated version or X-rated because what else would there be? But Barbie can have no genitalia, so yes. Yeah, oh well, then you know I'm staying home. I'm done. I mean, <laughs> gotta have some action going on. Anyway, well, well, Dave, we've got a writer. A he's got the number one new release right now, and it's called right. "Silence of the Missing." It's a gripping psychological crime thriller novel. Mr. Rick R. Reed is with us, so thank you for being here, Rick. Thank you for having me. So, Rick, you kind of like me in a sense that you tend to write darker um, stories. So, what brings you into that? Who hurt you? Like, what's going on? Does somebody is that a requirement that somebody had to have hurt you? Not necessarily, but <laughs> actually, I kind of think it is. I, I think most people I know, especially either people who write dark or people who write comedy, conversely, have some baggage in their background where they're, they're, they may be working something out, even if it's just like uh, subconsciously. So, and I have been tending myself to write more and more in, in a darker hue, uh, if you will. And I, I, I think that's probably, it's, I'm just, uh, I've reached a point in my life where 
I'm just really following my interests. And one of my big interests is true crime. And, and a lot of my books are inspired by true crime stories. Um, so I think that's going to be a direction I will continue to take. The book I'm working on now is another crime fiction, psychological suspense um, involving LGBTQ characters. So, and it's, it's what I find very satisfying to read, to view myself. And I think we tend, we writers tend to write what we want to read. So that's what I'm doing in a big way now. Well, and, and so what, what was the inspiration for this, this book? You know, I think I, I knew you'd ask that. So I was thinking a bit about it. Um, I think it's um, probably somehow the idea of uh, missing persons came to me and then the classic what if question. What, what if, you know, most people that go missing either are found or returned relatively quickly, the vast majority. If they don't, they're probably dead. And it's really an unusual case, but it does happen. And I can give examples. It does happen that people will suddenly return after many years of being held captive or, or whatever the situation was. And I just thought it would be interesting to take, kind of start with a young puppy love situation and have someone abducted at that point in time and then flash forward to three decades or so later and no one has ever heard from the person that was abducted. And of course he's assumed dead and he shows up on the past loved one's doorstep claiming to be the missing person. And that was sort of my concept, my jumping off point for how the story would be told. And of course I've added lots of twists and turns that I hope readers don't see coming. So do you think most people that are um, disappear, let's just say, for, and, and they come back years later, let's say, like you said, 30 years or a long time, is it, it, do you think in most cases it's because of abduction or is it that sometimes they just decide to get lost themselves? Well, I think in the case of my character, it's a 13-year-old boy. So I think it pretty much would have to be an abduction. I mean, I could see an adult person just kind of wanting to run away. And, and I, I suppose a teenager might want to run away, but I, I would think most younger, vulnerable people with no real reason to leave are, have probably met with uh, uh, someone with dark intent. So when, you're, when, you're, when you create this story, you put this together, so you've got the framework. Um, how do you develop characters, and where do those characters come from? So you've got, because uh, you've got them at the age of 13, and then also as an adult. Um, how does that work for you? Where do characters come from? Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of those kind of mysterious things that's really hard to answer. I'm, I'm certainly, when it comes to writing my books, I'm a pantser. I write um, pretty, I have a general idea of where I want to end up and what the story's about. But then I really rely on my characters to kind of guide me through. Now, where they come from is, is hard to say because um, it, <laughs> that's part of the, the magic of the process, I think. Um, just like the story, I have a general idea of who the characters are, and I get to know them as I write about 
and they reveal their quirks. They reveal their personalities. They reveal how they talk and how they, how they react to the other characters and how they react to the rest of the world. So it's sort of an intuitive experience. And, uh, you know, I just, the hardest part for me is keeping track of the little details, the continuity of characters and their ages at certain points in time, what color their eyes are, what their past history is. Uh, but otherwise, I, I, they kind of get into my head and they live there while I'm writing, which I know probably doesn't sound crazy to you, but it might sound crazy to someone who doesn't write <laughs> because yeah. stories become very real to me. And my best stuff comes out when I'm, I'm not planning it. It isn't outlined. It just kind of flows on the page and I'm transcribing it. Well, can you hear your characters? Uh, do you have an internal monologue? Is, is that how you experience them? Is that is that how you create dialogue? Or do you have some other way? No, I, I think, I mean, I don't audibly hear them, but I hear them in my head. And, um, and they will often say things that I may not expect that may take the plot in a direction that I wasn't really thinking it would go. Um, and sometimes characters just appear when they're needed and they can be fully formed. And when I sat down to write that day, I didn't realize that character was going to appear and what their purpose was. And, and, and they're just suddenly this real person has appeared in my story. It's almost like the people that appear. I've always thought it's strange. The people that appear in our dreams, which are, can be fully formed people that we can swear that we've never encountered in real life. So where do those people come from? And I think it's kind of the same with characters I create in my fiction. Well, they're not, they're not telling you to do weird things, are they? Like you don't. They're not directing my, my life. They're directing their own lives. Um, I, I don't think I've had an experience <laughs> where a character has told me to go out and kill someone, for example. Well, maybe you just don't remember it. That could be. And there's, there's the talk on for another book. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, the writer. So when you're writing this, like you've kind of got the idea, you've got the characters, is there kind of um, a subtext, a point? Is there something under, underneath it? And I know you're, you're pantsing, so it's not like you're thinking out, I want to tell people, but because sometimes it just comes out organically as you're putting together the story. At the end of it, there's actually a, a meaning. Oh, there's, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I don't think there'd be a reason to write a book unless there was some underlying message. Now, I'm not often, I'm not always consciously playing to that message, but it's, it's always there and it's something I want to say about the human condition. Usually it has to do with how, usually it, it revolves around the power of love and how that can be a redemptive force. And it's it's how people how I get to my endings and how how just love can change a very bad situation into something that's either good or hopeful or both. Uh, when you're talking about human condition and some sort of theme that that kind of works its way around that. When you finish a book like this and it's published, it's out there now. Can you look back and and see that the process has changed you some? Yeah, I, th I think. Every book is, is a learning experience. Every book is a chance to do better than the last one. 
So I think going through the process of writing a book, of going through the editing process with editors, and I think contributes to those internal voices, not character voices, but voices telling me more about craft, more about how to use language, more about how to um, develop things like suspense or timing. I think there's a lot that goes on internally, and I think each each thing I write contributes to that body of knowledge. Well, earlier, you know, you mentioned uh, continuity, and I'm just wondering, do you have a, a method to keep track of continuity? Do you have a process? Do you have tools? How, how do you do that? Um, <laughs> it's 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 <laughs> kind of the same thing. I, I I've heard of. I have a friend that I just read with actually this past weekend. At, the Palm Springs Cultural Center, and people were questioning him about his process, and he said, oh, I have a, a big master sheet, like a spreadsheet of all my characters, and I keep track of everything, and I don't do any of that. Um, <laughs> the most I will do is, um, like, what I'm doing right now is I'm going through the book I'm writing. When I have, like, a character description or something that I know will come out again later. I'll just highlight it and make it yellow so that I can quickly find it and I can find what the age of that character is, for example, or what color his eyes are or where he's from. But I don't really do like I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know how to do a spreadsheet, honestly. Um, <laughs> so it, it it is kind of winging it, and I do keep my fingers crossed that I always will get a good editor who will um, remember anything I've missed. And so far, I've had pretty good luck. So are you conscious of, of how you write, let's say, violence on the page? I mean, I pay attention to it. I don't want to, uh, just like when I write about sex, um, I don't want the violence or gore to be gratuitous. It has to be something that grows organically out of the story and also moves the story along and that it is necessary to be there. Like if I took a sex scene or a, a murder scene, a bloody murder scene out, would the book be able to continue on and it wouldn't make much difference? Then I know I'm being gratuitous. But um, so what I strive for is uh, kind of truth and everything having a purpose. And that, that applies to more than just violence or sex, or it applies to words themselves. I, I like to believe that every word has a purpose or it shouldn't be there. Do you like writing the evil or bad character, the person that's kind of causing oh, the suspense? Oh, yes. Yes, very much. It's 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 a lot it's a lot more fun to write someone who's evil than someone who's good, at least for me. Maybe it's because I'm kind of a mild-mannered guy myself. I get to uh slip into this uh darker shape and and become something a little different. It's it's just fascinating to me, and I think that's why I'm fascinated with true crime and uh and why I read a lot of suspense and thrillers is because I, I just, I find those whatever, trying to figure out the psychology behind 
why people kill, why people do horrible things to each other. It's, it's always been fascinating to me. And so to be able to actually get inside the head of a character I'm writing about who's evil, it's, it's really an interesting process and it flows pretty easily. And one of the things I think I try to do, though, with those people is that I do always try to give them some kind of redeeming value, something that makes them human so that they're not just these evil automatons that can only do bad, because I don't believe anyone is all good or bad, or most people are not, are a mixture of both. And um, if we're lucky, the good outweighs the bad. But um, I always try to give some kind of psychological insight into what made them who they are. Yeah, because really, in a lot of times in their own world, in their own mind, they think they're doing something right. They think they're, what they're doing is good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. So if you don't if you don't explain it, or if you don't, if 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 the reader doesn't understand who this person is and how they got there, um, they might not connect with them. Right. So what happens to your characters when the book's done? Do they just disappear, or do, you, do any of them linger with you? Um, generally for me, because I most of my books are standalone except for a few, generally they do go away. And I will admit that sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad that, that they've left, and I sort of miss them. And... Um, I had a friend once taught me with something like, oh, why don't you have a little tea party for all your imaginary friends? <laughs> I do kind of let them go because I, I, each book for me is a new journey. And once in a while, one of them will. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, call to me and, and say, you know, I wasn't done telling my story and, and you need to put me in my own book. I have two books that are kind of romances called Chaser and Raining Men. And in Raining Men... I took the villain from Chaser, who was a horrible person, and it's probably one of my greatest writing challenge challenges was to make him not only likable, but that you would root for him and understand him. And I think I got that across, and I think actually the second book, Raining Men, was better than the first because of that, because, you, because I took someone who was so reprehensible and made them take a journey that let them figure out something about themselves, but also let the readers figure out that he wasn't all bad, that there were reasons for him being the way he was. Do you, do you have a favorite character you've written over out of all the books you've done? I would think if I really had a favorite, it would um, jump up. You know, I would think of it right away. You, and you say you do it, you're kind of by the seat of your pants, so you didn't really know how this book was going to end, did you? Um, I would say I was, well, I was pretty sure that things would be resolved and that things would end on at least a hopeful note. How we actually would get there, no, I probably didn't know exactly. Or if I did have an exact idea, it probably changed a lot in the course of writing it. I guess an advantage of writing it um you know, taking true accounts or things people do and kind of fictionalizing and writing your characters um, is you do get to see or you can have, let's say, um, justice served in a way, or you could have a, you, you get to choose your ending, whereas in, in the true crime stories, quite often it just is how it is and it doesn't always end up very good. Right, right. That's, that's one advantage of writing fiction over true crime. And sometimes the true crime I read can be so disturbing because I know it's true and it, I can't tell myself, oh, this is just a book. This really happened. So sometimes I need to actually take a step away from it. There have been a couple uh, true crime books that have really almost uh, made me want to stop reading because they were so upsetting. In fact, I just read one um, <laughs> that was really kind of a chore to get through, even though it was really well done and fascinating. But it was about a mother murdering her child, and she had Munchausen by proxy syndrome. And it was it was really 
heartbreaking. But in fiction, we can kind of fix that, and we can, and that's yeah. part of the beauty of writing fiction is that we can uh, kind of maybe write wrongs in the world. Did, did you do a lot of research to try to figure out sometimes how a character should be? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Re, I mean, like for Silence of the Missing, I researched a lot of the cases where people came back um, from uh, long absences when they were when they went missing. So it was it was interesting to read about those things, but it was also it helped me inform the characters in the book. Did their experience being away and being taken change them in a good way or a bad way? And I don't want to reveal too much without, because I don't want to give away a spoiler. But um, yeah, but but to your question, I, I do research how criminals think and and try to apply that to what I know of human nature and what is true for me. Well, speaking of research, did you have to um, go back and do some research uh, to get back into the mindset of the 1980s in writing the the 80s sections of your book? Well, there isn't a whole lot. I mean, the majority of the book takes place in present day. It starts off in 1986. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I will do a little research to see, like, what songs were popular at that time so I can kind of drop that in, you know, that song is playing in the background because I, I know it was popular that summer. Or, or, you know, to make sure I'm not using a product or something that didn't exist which can pull a reader right out. Um, <laughs> but the when I wrote about the 1980s, it was set in actually the small, I, I made it fictionalized town, but it was actually the town I grew up in on the Ohio River in the foothills of the Appalachians. So um, pretty much just had to go back in my own head to when I was a teenage boy, and I could write those those sequences with some truth, I think. Yeah, well, you're far too young to have known what happened in the 80s. That's right. I was having a child in the 80s. <laughs> and he's almost 40, so um, I'm not far too young. You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm pr I just turned 65, and I'm not ashamed of it. What kind of influences your writing? Do you think other writers? Do you think uh, people you've run, run across? Is there, is there certain things? And if you're stuck in writing, is there certain things that get you going? Um, well, I read a ton, and, and I read across fiction, nonfiction. Um, I'm never not reading a book. So I think I've always thought there's there's some process of osmosis that you learn about writing and, and plotting and character and uh, veracity on the page just from reading those books. And I try to read books that are good, that can, that are by people who are better than I am. And I think that helps inform my own fiction. Um, so, yeah. What makes a good story for you then? What makes a good book? What do you, how do you, how do you define that? Um, I think uh, it probably goes back to characters and um, you have, you have to have, an emotional investment and, and engagement with those characters. You have to care about them. They might not be the, they don't have to be heroes. They don't have to be perfect by any means, but 
but you have to care about them. And when you have that engagement, it will keep you involved in the story. If you don't have that, then I, I, at least for me, I, I quickly lose interest. So, but when I do have that and when I'm, when uh, an author can make me cry, can make me laugh, can make me want to keep turning the pages, that author is doing his job, his or her job that really resonates with me. Have you ever started or partially written a story and got into it halfway and then decided it's not working, you don't like it? Generally... No, but, but yes, there have been a few instances. I mean, I've written quite a few books. So, I mean, there's a few on my computer that I have just abandoned because I guess it's, it's probably kind of goes back to what I just said. Uh, the characters weren't coming to life for me. And it was, I think the, the few books I've abandoned have been the ones that I just wasn't engaged with. And it was, it was becoming a chore to sit down and write. I mean, it's, it's always a bit of a chore to sit down and write. I'll admit that. Um, because, you know, it's, although I love it and I love having written, I am the world's greatest procrastinator when it comes to actually sitting down at my desk and working. But when I do, and once I get into it and it's flowing, then that's the greatest feeling. But I think the books that I've, I've left behind, are the ones that I know are not for me because I just didn't get engaged and it just felt like a slog to keep writing. And I felt like if it feels like this for me, it's going to feel like this for the readers. So I, I better move on to something else. So what do you got coming up next after this book? Have you got, have you always got a project going or a couple of projects? Pretty much. Yes. Um, I'm working on, um, a book that I tentatively calling green eyed monster. And it's, it's about, um, a cup, a gay couple and they're new and there's the discovery that one half of the couple was actually suspected of murdering his lover 10 years before. And it comes out because of a podcast, a cold case podcast that's going on. And, um, and this is actually based on a, a real story that happened in Minnesota where a man uh, pretended that an intruder broke into their house and killed the wife, but it was actually the husband who really did it. So my book takes kind of that idea of, of a past murder and how it, and, and the suspicions around it and how it impacts this current relationship. And it also brings, brings in things like gay hate crimes and jealousy as motivation. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. Do you ever get kind of depressed on, on writing these kinds of subjects or writing about how, how bad humanity can be? No, because um, I think the ultimate goal is to um, demonstrate that even in these, these bad situations, even with these bad people, there, there's always hope. There's always a way to, um, you know, find a way out or, or rectify the situation. And that's my challenge as an author to make that ring true and to bring some kind of satisfying closure to what might otherwise be a very dark and depressing story. But when you get to the end of it, you feel something, um, whether it's relief or hope or, or uh, kind of a 
contentment or satisfaction with that it's been brought to a conclusion that doesn't leave you feeling completely in the dark. So what would your advice be to someone that wanted or was thinking about writing their first book? Well, I always, you know, when people have asked me that, and I, I think Stephen King also said this, but I, I thought of it as well. Um, but it's, it's really just about exposing yourself to a lot of different voices. And, and I think reading is crucial to read widely and to read a lot and, and not be afraid to face a blank page and just discipline yourself to say you're going to write something today. And no matter how bad or good it is or how little or how much, just, uh, make an agreement with yourself that you're going to do something because you can't, you can't grow a story out of nothing. But if you put something down, those connections can start being made and the story can start to fall into place. So that's why I, I've always said I've never really believed in writer's block and because for me, it seems like an excuse and you can't, and there's no way to, if you just don't do anything, you're not going anywhere. You have to, you have to start at some point. And I think that, that reading a lot of different things and reading constantly and reading thoughtfully and mindfully will inform your own work, hopefully in a good way. Yeah. We just interviewed, I know Reed Coleman and I know that's what he said. There's no such thing. If, if you're a, you know, a garbage man, you don't have garbage block. You know, you don't have, it's, it's just, uh, it's just you have good days and bad days. It's just, it's that simple. And it, I think that's true. You know, hey, to have a bad day, it's okay to say, I'm not feeling it today and I'm not going to do it today. But to kind of fall back on like, I can't, then you're, you're setting yourself up to fail, I think. So how do people find Rick? Um, are you, are you on social media? If you're on TikTok dancing, showing off things like what, what, where do people find Rick? Do you have a website? I used to have a website that's still there and I can't get rid of it, but, um, <laughs> I hate that it's still there and it still comes up probably first if you search for Rick R. Reed. But anyway, um, what I use now is my blog as my website. It's Rick R. Reed, reality, all one word, dot blogspot.com. It's a blogger um, blog. And it's, you know, I post there regularly and it's really a good way to find out about me and about my books. Um, and then as far as social media, I'm most active on Facebook and Twitter, um, Instagram to a lesser extent. But in all three of those, if you look for Rick R. Reed, which that's that's my hand on all of them. I, I guess I got involved early enough that I could have that. So I'm Facebook.com slash Rick R. Reed, Twitter.com Rick R. Reed, and same with Instagram. So, but the, the middle R is crucial because there is another writer named Rick Reed who also writes kind of thriller type things. I think he's a former police detective and he writes good stuff, but I have been confused with him before. So I always tell people always look for Rick R. Reed because, um, and I've had people 
who come to me and they're very happy to tell me, oh, I bought your latest book. Oh, what was the name of it? And then they'll name a Rick Reed book. And I'll have to say, <laughs> I didn't write that, but <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Oh, you should sign it for them. <laughs> no. Okay, well, we'll have everything up on our website as well so people can find it easy if they can't remember, you know. And uh, you must have been writing. Were you writing this this actual uh, novel over COVID period? Uh, the one that just came out now? Yeah. Um, I don't think I – I think COVID was sort of um, getting out of the way when I started this one. Uh, the Man from Milwaukee, which is my book about um, set around the time Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested and about a closeted gay man who became obsessed with him and began writing to him in prison. I was writing that during COVID, and that was probably, that was a very dark book, and um, I think maybe COVID played a part in that darkness because there's a lot of isolation at that time. I'm good with being alone, you know, probably more than most people, but but enough can be enough, you know, and, and that that really was. We appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, the book, of course, is called Silence of the Missing, and it's a gripping psychological crime thriller novel. And our guest is the author of that book, Rick R. Reed. So thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you for having me on. It was fun. Thanks, Rick. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of something with media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.